Um, about this time last year, I had two friends who were in Miami Beach. Um, they're, they're pastor friends. Their names actually are Brent and John. They are not innocent, so I will not protect their identity. And they were in Miami Beach, and they wanted, while they were there, it was actually, they, they work with me as area coordinators, and we were there for a, a planning retreat. While they were there, one of them in particular really wanted to go to the coolest club in Miami Beach. He wanted to go where he might run into Will Smith or J-Lo or, you know, Dwayne Wade or someone like that. And there's two ways that you could get into the club. One was you could make a reservation and get a table. However, there was a $5,000 minimum that you had to spend to get in. They didn't do that. They're pastors. The other way is you could wait outside behind the velvet rope and hope to be able to get in because you either had a silver tongue and you could talk your way in or you just looked cool. Well, one of them had a silver tongue, in particular it was Brent, and he, they waited outside of this club for several hours with the hopes of just being able to coax this big block of granite called a bodyguard into letting them in. And so they stood there and they talked, and I think Brent even was holding money in his hand as if he was somehow going to bribe this guy who works at a $5,000-a-table club. But anyway, he was just working him. And as he talked and talked, it got to the point where they were just about to get in, and there was two of them, as I said, Brent and John, Brent dresses nice, dressed well, kind of looked the part like he might fit in, even though he's a middle-aged dude like me. And so the bouncer said, come on. He was basically tired of hearing from Brent and wanted to let him in. So they was going to let him in. They opened the door. Brent walked through, put his feet in the door, and then John came behind him, and he heard the bouncer's voice, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't go in there with him. Y'all can't go in there together. John was wearing shorts. And a long sleeve shirt. He said, dude, you can't go in there looking like a scoutmaster. Out! And kicked them both out. And they, that caused a little tension in their relationship. <laughs> but there was no entry into the party for those guys. They were excluded. They didn't fit in. In Luke 19, what we have going on is something like a, a Jesus party in Jericho happening. There are people... In, in the passage that Susie just read to us, people who are crowding around Jesus, almost like a wall. And these are the ones who get Jesus, all right? See, there's the air quotes. They get Jesus. They are on board with what Jesus is talking about, who he is. They've probably got the t-shirts, Jesus is just all right with me. Yay, Yahweh. Maybe some of them have the caps, make Israel great again, or realizing that Jesus is a great teacher, they feel the learn, right? So they are on board. They know who else is on board with the Jesus party and who isn't allowed. And Zacchaeus is not allowed into the Jesus party. He just doesn't fit in, and he is not at all welcome. Now, here's a question. Why isn't Jesus, or I'm sorry, why isn't Zacchaeus welcome to the Jesus party? This dude has so many strikes against him. First, Zacchaeus is actually not religiously faithful. Do you know what Zacchaeus' name means? You know he's a wee little man, right? You know the song, 
from Sunday school, but do you know his name means righteous one? His parents had the audacity. They were so faithful that they had hopes. This is someone who will walk with God, who will be faithful and, and, and follow the Lord, will be in covenant with him. So he's got a religious background. He probably went to religious schooling. He's got this very audacious name of being righteous. But what we see, what we can kind of pick up from the text is he left it all behind. And he left it behind in a big way. How do we know that? Because we're told his job. He is a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus, the righteous one of Israel, now works for the Roman Empire, collecting taxes for them. He works for Rome, the oppressors and occupiers of God's holy land, his holy city, and his holy people. And he doesn't just kind of work a nine to five, just kind of doing it. What else does the text tell us? Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus was good at what he did. Because you see, what a tax collector would do in in this time is he would collect taxes from his countrymen. In particular, this is what Zacchaeus did, to give to Rome. Now, anything over or extra that he was required to give to Rome, he got to keep for himself. Zacchaeus was rich. He kept a lot. He built his power and his privilege off of the very backs of his countrymen, of the people he had maybe gone to synagogue with as a little boy. He did a good job at being a bad Jew. Now, obviously, it seems obvious, doesn't it? If someone should be excluded from the Jesus party, if someone should be excluded from clamoring around this one who is our messianic hope, our kingly hope, if there is someone who probably wouldn't want a savior or messiah anyway, if there's someone who should be kept at arm's length, should be obstructed from Jesus, especially by the serious followers, it was Zacchaeus. But, and isn't it interesting, for some reason, in spite of this guy being wealthy, right? He's rich. He has his needs met. In spite of Zacchaeus being connected with the players in Rome, what is Zacchaeus' longing? What is his desire? What is it he want to see? He wants to see Jesus. But he's on the fringe of the crowd. He is an outsider. He is kept at arm's length. He is walled off by the true followers of Jesus. But still, he's looking in. So the only way that he can see, at least get a glimpse of Jesus, is to climb into this tree, a sycamore tree, a tree that we're, it's highlighted as a fruit-bearing tree. So boom, 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 little Zacchaeus, right, gets up in the tree. And what happens? Jesus locks on to Zacchaeus. He sees him. And, and, and like some gospel fruit from the tree, he plucks him. He calls him by name and invites himself, just think of how bold this is on Jesus' part, invites himself to Zacchaeus' crib, to his house, to the very place where he lives. And without discussion, without any kind of qualification or delay on Zacchaeus' part, Jesus, that's great, but I need to clean up first. Jesus, how long are you staying? None of that. 
right? Zacchaeus just hears it, whoom, jets back down the tree and receives Jesus with joy. Now, here's a quick question. Do you, those who are already gathered, we who are already gathered around Jesus, do we receive him with that much joy, with that instantaneous kind of response of no questioning, no qualification, just beeline to the Lord? Do we, do, do we receive him this eagerly? Or is he kind of thought of as the guest who won't leave? Just the guy who stays in the garage and we bring him out on Sunday and then he goes back because he kind of causes trouble. Let's do this. Let's, let's just in the next few minutes reason together how in this passage God shines the light from this passage on our lives in our situation here. And I want you to ask yourself, am I highlighted in this text somehow? So let's start by asking first, who is this crowd? Where would we see this crowd in our situation today? This crowd is anyone who is huddled around Jesus, but is not cool with letting other folks get close to him. It is us when we put ourselves above others in the spiritual or religious realm. It's when we think, you know, we look outside of ourselves, we look outside of our congregation, and we think, as we look at someone else, eh, they don't care about religion. They don't care about spiritual things. Or you might look at them and think, they are so far gone. <laughs> they're, they're not going to even, they wouldn't even accept the reach of Jesus. Or maybe if we're being very candid, we maybe look at some folks and say, I'm frankly glad that they're outside of our circle. Because they're kind of dirt bags, and we don't need that kind of dirt bag around us. Is this us? Is this you? What's the answer from this passage? How is God speaking to us right now? Well, the answer is easy. If this is you, that's not the end of the line. The answer is repent. Turn in the other direction. Go in the other way. Come down out of the tree, as it were. The Christ you worship is a Jesus who scans the horizon to find people. It is Jesus who is faithful enough to believe that God is drawing all kinds of people to himself. People even who are on the fringe. People who maybe are rich. People who are religiously compromised. People who are secular. But know this, and if you want a shorthand for what is Presbyterianism about or what is Reformed theology about, it is this, that we believe that God is a seeking God that he pursues and he gets all kinds of folks. And now hear me on this. Jesus' love and openness to others, which I would suggest is the most radical revelation of God, is to find continuation in us, in our attitudes toward people, especially to people who are different than us who don't look like us, who don't feel like us, who maybe aren't in our bracket. You see, Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 12, challenged us to, quote, do the works that I do. And then, if you can bear it, he said, do greater ones than these. He was talking about us. Do greater works than what he is doing. 
So how do we repent? What would repentance look like for us? And I'll just be honest, this, this encapsulates so much of my own heart, my own attitude. What repentance looks like is seeking as we have been sought, is seeking others even as we have been sought by the Lord. It's identifying with others who are outside of Christ, outside of the church. Zacchaeus's. You see, that's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for me. Jesus loved us. He stood with us before we did so with him. We love, we serve, we listen, we invite. If we're going to be really just literal, we invite ourselves into the presence and the lives of others. We put ourselves in their sphere. It's not just a matter of inviting people to church or events that we do. But it's being in their homes. It's our willingness to put our feet underneath their table, to put ourselves at their disposal, to listen, to to be present in that way, to go into their space and their lives in a way that we're invited but shows that our heart is open. We want to honor them and we want to serve them. Uh, There's a, a young woman who's involved in RUF, at one of our schools in California, and her campus, I, I had the privilege of meeting her, but her campus minister told me this story. Uh, before she went to school, her parents, who had not raised her as a Christian, in fact, they were adamantly secular and even atheistic, they said, we want you to um, really taste the fruits of all that college has to offer, and we want you to just to try and think through all kinds of ideas, meet new people, do and experience wonderful things except religion, because that's for weirdos. <laughs> we didn't raise you to be a weirdo. And so that was her mindset uh, going to school. Well, she got there, and she happened to meet someone who was involved in RUF. And, kind of, and this person who had been involved in RUF had heard her story. And, you know, it would have been easy for her to think, man, this girl's back is arched. She doesn't care about religion or Jesus or any of this stuff. Her parents don't want her to, so I'm just going to be a friend, but I'm not really going to, you know, be too pushy on it and initially she wasn't but she just got involved in her life and other people from RUF got involved in her life and pretty soon she did the most radical rebellious thing toward her parents she could ever do and she became a Christian she heard the gospel but the reason that she did was because others were just kind of willing to push in they didn't write her off because her story didn't fit with the kind of people who had become Christians and the Lord worked in that capacity and he works through us too you and I in our neighborhoods he just calls us to be intentional about praying for people our neighbors about just saying hello just taking these first steps about really believing that the Lord even if he worked in my life that he can work in their life as well God is a seeking God But maybe this morning you hear the story of Zacchaeus and it's not the crowd that resonates. It's Zacchaeus who resonates. It's kind of your story gloms on a little bit with his. So this morning, if you are Zacchaeus, what would the Lord say to you? Blessed are you who are on the fringes. Because you are where the center of God's heart is.
You are someone God cares about. You are who He seeks. You are who He is going after. Have you been hurt, excluded, marginalized by Christians? Well, as the, the, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Wendell Berry, says, it's better to throw yourself on the mercy and grace of Christ than on Christians. And that Christ offers Himself to you. But know this, Jesus will invite Himself in, into your life. And if you receive Him, he doesn't leave things the way they are. He brings change such that you will find yourself doing and saying things that might not fit with the old you. Giving to the poor. Making amends with folks that you have hurt, sinned against. Maybe even reaching out to those who didn't exactly welcome you in in the first place. But you see, all of that comes... Because you have a healed heart. Because you have been in the presence of the living and true God. Not out of shame. Now let me ask you this. Why? Because this is really the most interesting thing I think in this whole passage. Why did Jesus lock on to Zacchaeus in the first place? He could have just walked by him. He could have ignored him like everyone else was doing. It probably wouldn't have stuck out. wouldn't have been in the Bible. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. But he did lock on. To Zacchaeus. Why did he do that? Well, Jesus went to Jericho to break down walls. And he wants us to know, because he evidenced this, that all are welcome. No one is so bad that they can't be received. No one is so good that they don't continue to need mercy and grace. Jesus can welcome the least likely because he, frankly, is the least likely Savior. He enters into our world, our experience, and I would suggest he sees himself. The outsider, the one who is on the fringe. You see, I think that when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he, if you can handle it, he saw something of himself in Zacchaeus. John chapter 1 verse 11 says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus knows something about that. Zacchaeus knows something about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says that he was rich and yet became poor for our sakes. Jesus understands about rich. Jesus was held at the center by the crowd, but really, Jesus is a fringe dude. He is a fringe guy, and he comes to stand with us on the fringe. Us who might feel on the fringe because of our doubts, our wandering, our faithlessness, our socially scorned because of our baggage. And he comes to stand with us to save us. The Nazi soldiers made their orders very clear. Jewish American prisoners of war were to be separated from their fellow brothers in arms and sent to an uncertain fate. But Master Sergeant Roddy Edmonds of Knoxville, Tennessee, who passed away a few years back, would have none of that. As the highest-ranking non-commissioned officer held in the German POW camp, he ordered more than 1,000 American captives to step forward with him and brazenly pronounce, We are all Jews here. He would not waver, even when a pistol was put to his head, and his captors, in fact, eventually 
backed down. Jesus enters into our world and identifies with us in our misery, in our predicament, and says, we are all people here. I'm one of you. And even more so, and unlike Edmonds with the Jewish soldiers, Jesus identifies with us in our sin, our hardness, our narrowness, and takes that sin on himself and gives himself so that we might be healed, that we might be forgiven. He does not cast us out, even when we should be cast out. He became poor so that we might be rich. And our wealth now is our gracious seeking of others for his sake. It is our privilege as those who are united to him and share in his power. Let's pray for his help. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We say thank you for who you are and how you have revealed yourself to us. But Lord, we also say, who are you? How can you do these things and seems so unconventional and goes against the grain of our experience and our tendencies. And yet, there it is. And were it not for your countercultural ways of drifting toward the outsiders and making known to us that even we were outsiders, maybe as embedded as we might have felt ourselves to be in our culture, our community, if it weren't for your seeking, we would be lost. But because of your grace, your light, and your great love, which compels you in all things, we are not left the same. So would you help us even bring to mind people right now to whom we might reach out, 